drop. You are listening to the Story Forward podcast, which is brought to you by a familiar crew of characters because they're the same people who did Story Forward Presents, Voices of Tree Fort Music Fest. I am one of your hosts, Larry Rose, and across from me, Christian Wynn, co-founder of Story Fort. This week, we're going to discuss summer movies. And for a little help on our intro, we are uh, bringing producer Brett into the fray. Hello. Battistain. You just like saying Battistain. It seems powerful. That Basque name just rolls off your name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's an easy one. Brett is quite a movie aficionado. And in fact, in the studio right now behind me is a list of 18 John Carpenter movies for his, uh, what is the name of the podcast that you're doing? Chew Bubblegum and Kick-Ass. Right. Right. Is it going to be out by the time this goes live? It's been out oh, for good. a while. <laughs> you haven't been listening, Larry. Come on. I know, and I really should. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, that's all, okay. Also of We Do Keanu fame, which was a series which is up on the Eavesdrop website. Yes. That is all, you cover all, how many Keanu Reeves movies? We ended up covering, we didn't cover all of them because we didn't do like cameos. Oh. We didn't count that. Did you do the one that was set in Portland? It might have been his second movie where his friend commits suicide. Permanent record. Yes. At the end of the show, we did our top. We each did our top five favorite Keanu movies, and that was number two for me. I, it's pretty oh. high for me too. Yeah, I love that. Serious Keanu. Yeah, permanent yeah. record. Yeah. yeah, pre pre Bill and Ted. I feel mm-hmm. like, and I don't want to get too deep in this, but I kind of feel like Bill and Ted potentially damaged him as much as The Shining permanently damaged Jack Nicholson. Potentially. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like him back in River's Edge. Was that his oh, first yeah. film? One of his first films? It was early, yeah. Yeah, that was a good one as well. That was serious. And, yeah. But we have summer movies to talk we're about. We're here to talk about summer movies, and we're, we're bringing Brett in because we're trying to figure out, before we get to our guest, who is uh, Will Leach, and I'll tell you a little bit more about him uh, in a few minutes, but we want to talk about what is a summer movie because before we came on air, we were trying to figure out, and we were kind of all over the place. Yeah. So when I think of a summer movie, seriously, the first thing that came to mind is Independence Day. And I loathe that movie. (laughs) But I remember the trailers and the commercials and getting so excited because it was so big. You know, they had the, the trailer had that that clip of the White House getting evaporated. Yeah. (laughs) And it was really exciting. And that's what a summer movie is to me. It gets you psyched for summer. I'm I'm not quite on board with that. I know. So what do you think of when you think of a summer movie? Oh, man. We were just talking about Wet Hot American Summer because, of course, it's a summer movie and it's it's hilarious and it's um, a summer camp movie and much more. But I was thinking, too, like Caddyshack might be my quintessential summer movie because I was like when I was learning to play golf in like the seventh or eighth grade, it was playing at the Varsity Theater in downtown Palo Alto and tickets were like a quarter <laughs> something ridiculous for <laughs> our age group and we went at least 10 times to go see it and it, it's kind of set it was like the summer summer break movie for me but also then meatballs during that time was fa- fantastic it just doesn't matter it just doesn't matter it just that, doesn't matter <laughs> yeah that was during the chris P, chris makepeace renaissance oh. he had that and he had my bodyguard like oh, he was bodyguard. everywhere yeah. for one summer yeah but anyway so i'm more uh kind of i guess in those are all comedies. So, but I, I guess for me, I, I, I don't go to the big blockbusters. Well, let so me much. be clear. Okay. I don't either. And I think Independence Day is the second worst movie ever made. The first is, of course, Cool as Ice, starring Vanilla Ice. But oh, 
But that's what I think of when I think of what are they going to throw at me this summer? Uh-huh. Oh, Jurassic Park 12, yeah, you know. I, but that's, I don't know, Brett, what, you're the movie guy yeah, probably you know, more than us. So. You've oh, forgotten more about movies than we'll ever know. I, <laughs> I lo- I'm a huge fan of like the summer blockbuster yeah. experience. Yeah. I love like all the big budget superhero movies. I love, mm. I love Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> I love... I love a good artsy movie, dramatic movie. I love I love a good comedy. But if I'm going to the the movies in the summer, I want to see like explosions. <laughs> I want to see action. I want to like you want what we used to call a movie experience. And yes. when I was in high school, so I want the whole movie experience. I, if I got to stand in line, that's part of the experience. Yeah, I want mm. the popcorn. I want the soda. I want the explosions. Oh yeah. Yeah, I want the air movie theater, air conditioning in the summer too. That is always nice. Yeah, Yeah. and I'm also a fan of bad movies. So define a bad movie besides Independence Day. (laughs) Um, you know, I I like Triple X. The Return of Xander Cage <laughs> with Vin Diesel. I love that movie. Xander but, Cage. But I also wow. love like Miami Connection, oh. Hard Ticket to Hawaii, those oh, types wow. of like almost like trauma style, like like low budget, like micro budget action so horror movies. You're a bad movie historian. Uh I wouldn't if say that. If you're bringing trauma out, that means I, you, I wouldn't you know say that. you're it's into an it. It's <laughs> yeah, so, But that, yeah. So, but what, so when I go know. to see like a summer blockbuster movie, part of the fun is seeing like how goofy it's going to be. <laughs> Man, I just, I have, maybe it's because I was a short story writer. Yeah. It's just too. hard. Like we all saw my, we all went to see San Andreas. Uh, and I don't, that must not have been the summer because my son is home because my son likes action movies. Mm-hmm. My wife likes The Rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forget what the draw was for me, but I like The Rock too. Or no, San Francisco got destroyed. And I yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. You're afraid of the, the big one. Yeah. <laughs> so. And I just, 10 minutes in, it's like, this is so implausible. I just can't get on board. Yeah. I have a difficult, difficult, difficult time with that as well. But uh, I do like movies that are set in the summertime. Grease. That's pretty good. Back in the day, yeah, I guess that was a musical as well. So, but it, yeah, those kind of, I mean, the summer is good. I think for setting and you know things happen. So they're like we were just talking about other novels and stories set in the summer. They kind mm-hmm. of have this real window of change almost. Yeah, it's a great coming of age period. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of. I mean, wasn't wasn't um To Kill a Mockingbird set in the summer? Didn't they go Just through a summer? Them. They might have. I can't remember. Summer of 42. I'm going way back. But summer yeah. of 42 was, I just, because it was just it on looked, the other night. It was, yeah. That was the summer that everything changed. Well, the bell jar is a good example of that too. This is, it was a summer that- It's <laughs> yeah. not what I think of when I think of a summer. <laughs> summer read. It's like a summer, it was the summer, like, you know, she's falling apart. You know, Sylvia Plath. Yeah. I love that novel. But and there's- I think a, it's like, yeah, fantastically- dark summer we'll say that what do you guys think of this there's also another element I think is, is there an element of escapism more in summer movies than in other movies other times of the year we'll defer to Brett on this one yeah is there like are those movies coming out in the summer the escapist movies like I just want to go sit in the movie theater for two hours and just not think about stuff and and what's the difference between that and like the that's why I went to see the bell holiday jar. <laughs> I don't know if they ever made a movie based on the bell jar, but it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't end well. We'll say that. So, you know, Sylvia found the, uh, the oven shortly after that. Anyway, so 
Yeah, what is the difference too between that and like a holiday movie? Because it seems like the same thing happens during the holidays, right? They just bring out the big guns. But I'm not sure. I, you may have a better take on it than I. Well, I think it's a cent- I think what it just comes down to is money. Because uh. <laughs> <laughs> summer is when the most people can go see something. Right. The mm-hmm. most times. So that's what they have their their tent pole movies. Is that what they call them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to have our guest today. We're going to talk a lot more about this. Um, it's Will Leach, who is pretty accomplished. He was the founding editor of Deadspin. And since then, he's been freelancing for New York Magazine, MLB.com, uh, does movie reviews, <clears throat> puts out his own uh, weekly newsletter, but also hosts three podcasts. And one of them, Grierson and Leach, is a movie review podcast. Uh-huh. So we're going to get Will in here and get his take on a lot of the same things we were just talking to Brett about. <laughs> but it'll be interesting to see since he also is focused very much on movies, what he thinks a summer movie is. Absolutely. And we also have Allison Meyer and David McNeil, who are two wonderful writers and film aficionados. Allison was actually on We Do Keanu. Uh, a couple I, times. A couple times. Yeah. Oh, she was on twice. Mm, I, I think knew, so, yeah. The Lake House was, is like one of her all-time favorites. And um, she came on for our episode about The Neon Demon. I've oh, never even I heard of that movie. <laughs> do you inc- did you include in in we do Keanu like the legendary stories of Keanu kindness to strangers? That that type of stuff was kind of like sprinkled throughout the show. It's hard to miss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so they have they are our correspondents this episode, David and Allison. So so and but right before we get to that, I want to ask Brett: Are there any summer movies? And by the time this airs, they will have already come out. But are there any you're looking forward to this summer? Uh, I can't wait to watch Fast and Furious 9. <laughs> 9. <laughs> I wow. cannot wait. Um, <laughs> I think that's pretty much it. That's like the one that's going to pull me out to the theater. You're going to go to the theater. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. in the theater. Okay. And by the way, I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Jaws. As oh, yeah. But maybe the that. summer movie. You're right. This, yeah. Yeah. And perhaps the summer read too. You were talking about that. Larry, oh yeah, just on a side conversation. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Jaws was the blockbuster. Mm-hmm. It, it was. That's right. Was there a Jaws two? Oh, and Jaws three, three. and three D, and Jaws 3D. four, the Revenge. That's right. Oh, I saw gosh. the first three. Yeah, all uh, equal quality, <laughs> just like all sequels. Oh <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> man, yeah, that that is probably the quintessential summer film. I yep. don't know. All right, so let's get to the interview, and then we'll uh, see you here at the interview and Allison and David. David's correspondence yeah. piece, and then we'll uh, be back here and talk to you then. Yeah, sounds good. All right. So, all right, well, let's let's just get started. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for coming on, Will. Um, in, in our intro, you know, I, I tried to run down some of the stuff you've done, but frankly, there's there's too much to cover in this one podcast. Even your intro <laughs> would take the entire episode. <laughs> and also, and we've got you here to talk about movies. Uh, you host a movie. Is it a movie review podcast? I listened to the other, the other day and I was trying to decide, are they just reviewing? Uh, yeah. I mean, we'll sometimes we'll preview like a film festival or, and we'll, we'll do like a, the readers can give us a name of a movie to review in our reboot section. But yeah, uh, my, my friend, Tim Grierson and I, who I've literally went to middle school with uh, and is now vice president of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association. So he's a real critic. Oh. I'm just pretending. Uh, he, uh, he, we basically, we grew up watching Siskel and Ebert. And so he's Siskel and I'm Ebert. Yeah. It's kind of oh, a system. You took apart Lords of Dogtown last week, the one I listened <laughs> to. And I have to say, I recommend watching the documentary. 
Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard yeah, that. the documentary is great. The the dramatic okay. film, yeah, it's okay. I don't. I didn't listen to the podcast, but did you guys? Did you? We were not fans. We were not. Okay. I, I like Ledger more than he did, but yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So and it's much. funny because in the documentary, Jay Adams is a very tragic and sort of tertiary yeah. figure. They're all saying, "Oh, Jay, he was the best of all of us." Yeah. You know, right. and then they show him, and he's obviously see he's got a you know a teardrop tattoo, and he's just a mess. Mm-hmm. And I guess when Stacy Peralta wrote the narrative movie, he decided he was going to make it about Jay. So yeah. it was, <laughs> yeah. it's, hmm. an, it's, an, it's certainly uh, my favorite part of that movie is that toward the end where they're like, "Oh, by the way, this character whose name I don't really remember has barely been in it. He's dying. So right. let's all just have a sad <laughs> moment uh, at the end of this." So uh, it's kind of fun. So, so we want to talk about summer movies. Our, our theme of our, our of our season is summer stories, and we've talked about talked about summer novels. We've talked about uh, crazy July Fourth experiences. We've talked to booksellers, um, and naturally, we want to talk about movies. So I'm going to start just by you know asking you ten thousand foot question: What is a summer movie? Is there any such thing? Uh, I think summer movies certainly exist more in the imagination than they do in real life, which is to say summer movies are now what used to be thought of as a summer movie is now kind of just the movies they make all year round, which uh, for better or worse, uh, which is to say that uh, there was a time where, you know, the summer movie was the treat, right? The, the, the whole notion of summer movies is based on the idea that frankly, it's just too damn hot and we need someplace to go somewhere that we guarantee to have air conditioning. I, and, uh, and so I, so I know that's why I went to movies as a kid. It was less excitement to go see uh, Iron Eagle uh, and more <laughs> to, uh, to just get in out of the, out of the heat. And so, and I think because of that, this notion of summer movies uh, in the, uh, in, in kind of like really got going was the idea of, this is comfort food. You know, there are times where the art of cinema will be explained and uh, you'll be able to have all of those moments. But uh, generally speaking, I think summer is the time where we know you're just trying to get in out of the heat. So here's something easy and happy for you and, uh, and, and entertaining in Hollywood at its best, right? You know, Hollywood, the one thing that Hollywood can do that may basically kind of uh, no other world cinema can do is make things explode at very expensive uh, uh, intervals. And so, uh, I, I think what's happened now, though, is those movies have become so popular and so big and the business has become so efficient uh, in a kind of a sad way that now everything is a, is, a, is, a, is a Hollywood is a summer movie to the point where you saw movies get delayed out of the summer from the pandemic. And they're like, eh, you know, February's fine. February's fine. That used mm-hmm. to be when they dump thing. And now there's just so many summer movies to go around that they can go around. all. You know, and that answers a question that I had asked Chris right before we came on. I said, Oh, we were, you know, we were both looking for lists of the best summer movies. I don't know why that didn't occur to me to do that until today, but there's so many lists. Mm-hmm. I found this one list and they had this very specific criteria because it wasn't just the highest grossing movies in the summer. It was like high gross, high hype, great marketing. And I looked at the list and I'll tell you the list in a second, but all the stories, all the, all the movies from the list are from my youth you know, Jaws, of course, which kind of invented the genre. Mm-hmm. Star Wars, E.T., Ghostbusters, Batman, Terminator 2, Jurassic Park, uh, the old Spider-Man, and the Dark Knight. And the Avengers is the only sort of modern era movie. But I guess you just explain why they're all old, because now everything's a summer movie. Yeah, and and that, that's the mindset going into it. You know, this has been a, a frustration for a lot of, not even independent filmmakers, but like smaller scale filmmakers. Like think of a movie... 
like LA Confidential, which wasn't that long ago. Like it's hard, like that now is like, is there a space in that for Hollywood anymore? Netflix isn't making that. <laughs> like it's hard to find, you know, I, I think you can almost see the twisted kind of distorted version of a summer movie, frankly, in what you see in some of kind of like uh, Netflix's attempt to impersonate Hollywood. I think Project Power mm-hmm. was the most recent one that feels like it was like, this is what a summer movie is. And it, like movie has nothing to it. It feels created by an algorithm. What was the uh, uh, the, the Will Smith uh, alien movie that came out a few years ago? It felt like uh, Netflix, uh, uh, the really bad one, uh, Bright, that's what it was. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it felt like Netflix being like, we're going to look, Will Smith is in summer movies. This is a big alien movie. Let's just make it a summer movies. But there was no spectacle. There were no theaters and it came out in December. <laughs> so like it was very just uh, uh, it, it felt like we've gotten to the point now that uh, everything uh, uh, in a world that feels increasingly climate controlled, at least in an indoor way and everyone streaming, it feels like uh, summer just kind of goes on forever. And that was sort of my next question was, did the pandemic accelerate that or did it just was it just sort of a tertiary secondary element making that happen more you know netflix pandemic chicken egg i don't know which way it goes certainly it increased the the uh, the desire for streaming though it's worth noting that you know the there has been a big summer hit already this summer uh a quiet a quiet place part two has been a legitimate mm-hmm. hit it's made more money than the first one and if you think about how what dire straits the industry was in uh not very long ago that's a really good sign and if, a that movie's really good uh and b the uh for what it's worth it was supposed to come out in march <laughs> but now it's a mm-hmm. summer movie uh but the, the a the movie is good but b it speaks to that thing that you get from theatrical experience it's particularly what you get from the theatrical experience in the summer uh, in a way that streaming just can't like that is a movie where there, I mean, it, the whole plot of the movie is that there is no sound and therefore there is like, so, so there's such tension kind of wrought in that when you're watching a movie like that at home, like the phone rings, your kid comes in, you pause it, you get an email and it's just not the same experience. I think it is telling that that movie in particular was kind of the first real breakout hit, uh, not post pandemic, but like kind of later on the pandemic, because it is, you know, that's the type of movie that people go to the movies to see, and particularly the type of movies they go to the movie to see in the summer. It is escapist. It is uh, it is absorbent. It is absorbing in a way. It's kind of all encompassing, and I think that is telling. So I also find it interesting that, like, you know, the creative types have not really figured this. I've not really come to terms with this either. Like uh, the director John M. Chu, who did In the Heights, which I think is a really good movie. Uh, that movie was released uh, both in streaming on HBO Max and uh, in theaters. It did not do well in theaters. It is worth noting, however, that every single time John M. Chu would tweet or promote the movie, he would always say, go see my movie in theaters. Please go see my movie in Hmm. theaters, even though technically... I guarantee you the executives at uh, HBO Max were like, go, no, don't tell them no. to do that. Tell them to subscribe to HBO Max. And so I think that this, I, I think some of these things have been accelerated. There's no question. I also, however, would caution uh, the notion that the theatrical experience and like everything has just gone to streaming right now. Cause I think that now, uh, frankly, as we're learning kind of, uh, we're seeing a lot of cases uh, for people that are trying to travel or do anything post uh, this stage of the pandemic. Uh, everyone wants to do stuff outside right now. I don't want to get out of their house after being so in a year. And I think movies are a logical place for that, particularly during the summer when it's so hot. It's a good time to bring <laughs> drive-ins. Yeah. I'm curious, how's your movie watching experience, you know, been lately now that we're kind of coming out of the pandemic to a degree? Are you back in the theater yourself? 
uh, I am. I, to be honest, I was actually back in the theater. Uh, I saw Tenet in the theater uh, during the pandemic. I wore a mask. It was safe and, and everything was distant. And frankly, you know, um, I know that this has been a major concern for a lot of people with good reason. Uh, we are still waiting for our first documented case of a super spreader event in a movie theater. Like that's, that, that's one of those things that like just hasn't like you haven't seen it in countries where there were tons of people watching movies uh, in theaters together. And so, you know, I think that, uh, uh, so I've been going for uh, a while. I haven't really had a lot of options because most of the movies have been bad. Uh, so <laughs> I couldn't, uh, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go see Hocus Pocus for the fourth time. Uh, now that, that they're, st- uh, they're, they're putting back that back in theaters again. But yeah, you know, I have to say uh, for me, the thing that I love about movies is a, it really is based wrapped up in the theatrical experience and the idea that, you know, this is, it's a place uh, where uh, you know, it's, I've read about sports as well. And one of the things I love mm-hmm. about sports and I love about movies is that you go to a place where your real life is, is irrelevant and does not matter. You just are transported somewhere else. The players in the game and the characters in the movie do not care that my, you know, my mortgage bill is due next month or that I'm really, bi- I have this big project due at the end of the week. Uh, uh, I get to go visit their world for a while. And so for me, uh, you know, not having... Uh, the theatrical experience, I've watched a ton of movies streaming. I've watched some great movies streaming. It's not the same. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. not the same. And uh, and I can tell myself it's the same, but it's just not. And so I, uh, anytime I get a chance to go, uh, I, I take that opportunity because, uh, uh, and I think that the idea that everyone has just decided movies are done watches on my laptop and, and, and text throughout. I don't know if everyone mm-hmm. actually feels that way about movies. And I think that you're seeing that a little bit with kind of the grosses of you're seeing from movies, uh, uh, kind of this first little post-painting experience. So for you, does the movie experience, that's what I used to call it, the movie experience. I want popcorn, I want to stand in line, I want mm-hmm. the whole thing. Do you have to have someone with you to do that or can you go alone? I pr- actually prefer to go alone <laughs> because then I'm not mm-hmm. worrying about what the other person, whether they like the movie or not. <laughs> so I know this is, this is a professional movie writer's uh, opinion, so I, I keep that in mind. Uh, but like, you know, whenever I go with anyone else, I just can't help but think, are they liking this? Are they reacting mm-hmm. this the way I am? I find my reactions to the film more honest when I'm by myself. Uh, there are times where, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I, when you're with another person, by definition, you are aware of their experience. You're aware of how you're coming across to them. Uh, you know, I like getting lost in movies. I famously, whenever I go to screenings, uh, I famously sit in the second row right in the middle. Nobody else does that. It's bad mm-hmm. for your neck. I don't recommend it. But I uh, I like to be all enveloped in it. You know, that, that that's what I want out of it. I, I don't want to uh to be aware that i've got work to do or that my uh, i gotta pick up my kid at 4 30 uh i want to i want to be aware that uh, i, I want to be in the world of the movie so uh i prefer that mm. I, I i actually prefer that but please don't tell uh, now i feel so rude i'm gonna go to a movie with someone they're like you don't even want me to be here <laughs> so i know i'm happy to go to the movies with anyone that wants to go but uh i, I do love going to movies by myself yeah i'm curious on that note too just as a movie writer um and critic of sorts um how does what's the I guess you're working a little bit while you're there. So you're, you're are you taking notes? You have your phone out to do that, or do you just kind of wait until the whole experience is absorbed and then go back and write those notes? Yeah, I I don't take notes. Some people do, and that's great. That I don't, I don't. Everyone's got kind of their own technique, but you know, I kind of feel uh, my job is to describe uh, to the ideal viewer uh, what their experience is going to be like seeing the movie. And uh, they're not taking notes. <laughs> they're yeah. not. They're like, and I and I find something. Uh, I I one of my least favorite types of criticism are like the weirdly pedantic criticism. The well, this plot point actually would not work. Yeah, I probably. But like you know, Roger Ebert has this famous line about how like you know, uh, uh, 
you know, people will accept unicorns and wizards and dragons in movies, but if someone's accent is slightly off, it will take them out of the experience entirely. Like I'm not a pedant uh, uh, about movies. You know, I, to me, it is about that experience. And so if I take notes, I'm, uh, I don't want to be thinking about what I'm going to write or say about the movie while I'm experiencing the movie. You know, I think they, that's, a, I think that's really kind of any journalistic goal really is you're supposed to try to take yourself out of it as much as you can. And then later you can go back and think what, what stuck back to what stuck out to do about this movie? What was the, what was the thing that hit me? What, what was I thinking? At the time? Eh, I don't know if this is working so much, but if I'm in there thinking, oh, I, you can tell, you can tell the critics who, when they were watching the movie, we were like, oh, I got a killer line. I can't wait to use this in my review. And I feel like that they're writing for other critics uh, or themselves uh, rather for the, than for the people who uh, you're supposed to be doing this for. Like this is critics are, you know, in a way I, I think of critics as in, uh, you know, an ideal consumer guide. Uh, in in that I, I don't mean that like you know it's consumer reports and like like if you like thriller you will like but I uh, you know, I think you're you're speaking to a good faith person who wants to like a movie and trying to represent that person and so I think if you go in being like ah I got a great line I'm gonna zing that Zack Snyder with this one uh, I think you're kind of missing the point of uh, of what you should be doing there in the first place I think yeah and I, I wonder if some of that comes from the fact that you're not only a critic you're also a creator but I want to put a pin on that for later because what you were saying made me think of something. Uh, does a movie, particularly in the summer, does it have to be good in order to be memorable? Uh, it doesn't have to be good to be memorable, but I do think it has to be good. And, and I will confess that is, it doesn't mean it has to be like moving and gripping and emotional and epic, but it does have to be good at the thing that it is trying to do. Uh, you know, go, to use another Ebert line, a movie is not what it is about. It is how it is about it. And I think that is a much better way to think about it. Uh, the uh, like, it is weird to hear people say, "Well, it wasn't good, but you know, I wouldn't expect it much." Well, okay. Well, then why did you go? <laughs> like, there's something weird about that kind of notion that you're supposed to just inherently lower your expectations. Uh, it, it's in the same way that the idea that people will watch a movie like, "Well, that doesn't feel like an Oscar movie." Well, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean either? Like, you know, the, the, a movie is the experience that you, that it's, I consider the a movie an experience that you have that, uh, that it, you're, it's like a conversation that you're having with a movie. And so the idea that uh, I, I, listen, I, there are lots of, uh, I'm not a Zack Snyder person, but I, his, I think his movies are frankly terrible. And I am absolutely baffled by people by, by the justice league thing i really think it's just that everybody hates joss whedon now and it just became a way <laughs> to like kind of dunk on joss whedon a little bit uh but that movie's terrible and it's so long like it's, it's <laughs> terrible for four hours like by definition oh. the original justice league is bad because it's only terrible for two hours this is terrible for four <laughs> hours um so my, my point is that like but like, but so I went to go see the, the new Zack Snyder movie, the, the the zombie one, and like for the first half hour, because I was like, oh, here we go with Snyder again. First half hour, I was like, this thing works. Like this thing, really. Like I have to be able to have that experience. It doesn't work after that half hour. But like, I feel like that hmm. is my what I owe to even a filmmaker that I don't like is to give them the best possible audience and the ideal audience for what they're trying to. See, now that makes me think of my experience, and I'm, I'm going to bring it up. I brought it up in the intro. I'm going to bring it up now. My least favorite summer blockbuster movie of all time is Independence Day. <laughs> I, should, I should preface this by saying I listened to, to uh, a podcast of yours recently, Will, and the way you described your uh, interest in music is like mine in movies. Most of my references are 20 years old. <laughs> hmm. But when I watched Independence Day for the first half hour, I thought, what a premise. 
And then it devolved into the worst stereotypes and the hokiest everything. And I probably should have expected that going in, but I still, I'm, to this day, it's my, it's the second worst move I've ever seen. The first being cool as ice, the vanilla ice vehicle. <laughs> well, definitely oh. don't see the sequel. <laughs> the sequel <laughs> is a lot worse and doesn't have Will Smith. And to me, I, I, sorry, I was actually thinking of Independence Day when we were talking, when, when I was going into this into this uh, discussion because I, I, I guess I like independence day a little bit more than you, not because you, not because you're wrong. You are not wrong, but like that is a movie that I would argue is good at what it is trying to do, which is to say it is dumb and it is over the top, but it gives you these big moments, these big, dumb, cheesy blockbuster moments. It is, it is also frankly a pretty terrific Will Smith delivery device right at the moment where Will Smith was about to become the biggest movie star in the world. And I would argue that the moment where he punches that alien and says, <laughs> welcome to earth. Like that's when Will Smith, oh. movie star. Like, that's when he became a movie star. Like that moment is when Will Smith, like, like that, that's a dumb moment. That's a stupid scene. That's not really very clever, but like Will Smith sells the shit out of it. And you're like, Oh, you're a movie star. Like, and you were right. And it, it turned out to be the biggest movie star in the world. So I, I would argue that like, I, I agree that like, that like, to me, that that was almost Emmerich, like accidentally making something halfway decent because everything else he's done has been pretty awful uh, mm-hmm. and has been. And the excess in that movie, I would argue that movie is incredibly well cast. Like Jeff Goldblum is awesome. Randy Quaid, before he went nuts, is actually kind of fun, fun in that movie. <laughs> and uh, and it almost as his worst instincts are, are dialed in in a way that they would never Yeah, I mean, I think you you make a good point because I think my problem with it was me that I like quiet movies and I like like a movie like that. I thought, well, this is a great concept. If you know the aliens come down and the the scene where they blow up the White House to me, that was the peak of the movie. Like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) I'll admit I've I've never seen Independence Day, so I had to to say (laughs) I tend to stay away from those. I think because it's a me thing. This is my taste, but you like quieter movies too. So I'll ask you that: What is a quiet summer movie? Is it is it Meatballs? Is it something like? Oh, you asking me this question? I'll ask both of you. I was asking. Okay, yeah. I mean, quiet summer movie. Oh gosh, there. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking looking at a list um, from my list of a few movies that were on another list, but something like, um, I mean, American Graffiti or Dazed and Confused. Those are pretty quiet. Like things are happening, but they're all about the characters and the people. Um, Stand by Me is one I, you know, we're talking about a little bit. So those type of movies are going to be because they're more character driven and kind of have the. I don't know. I guess, like you said, the quieter feel. The blo- there's not many explosions in the movies I like. So, <laughs> are those summer movies, or are they movies yeah. that take place during the summer? Yeah, I, that's what I would argue. I mean, those are movies that either take place in the summer or are released in the summer, and uh, as opposed to summer movies, I would argue the best mm-hmm. kind of summer movies, the ones that are the ones that are like, wow, this is so much better than it had to be. A movie like The Fugitive, I think, is like the perfect mm-hmm. example of this. Like that movie is terrific. It came out in August. And that movie is terrific. And that was a huge hit. And again, it totally delivers what it promises it's going to get. It's a great high school. It's got terrific performances. It's well-directed by universe, fellow University of Illinois graduate Andrew Davis. Uh, and like, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's a really, really good movie. That movie would have done fine if it wasn't as good as it was. In the Line of Fire is another great movie uh, like this, the Clint Eastwood, Wolfgang Peterson movie. That is a summer movie that is only out to entertain. 
That's what that movie is there to do. But it does it so professionally and so splendidly that we still talk about both of those movies 25 years later. And they didn't. And those movies were not made to be talked about 25 years from now. They were made to make a bunch of money and entertain people over the summer. But because they're so well done and so well crafted and so just like smartly put together, they last. And to me, those are my favorite kind of summer movies, movies that that are great. But so like Die Hard is a great one. Like Die Hard is a great summer movie Hmm. and it's a great movie. And it doesn't like a movie doesn't have to be about something larger and massive and huge. It just has to be great the way that it is about it. And I would argue The Fugitive is like the perfect example of a movie that is just so, so good at doing summer movie things while still that that it transcends being a summer movie at all. Except, of course, (laughs) Eisen would say that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yes, I hear I, that. I've heard that. I've heard I that. did watch it this last Christmas, yes, uh, with some friends. So, But uh, it, did it come out in the summer, Die Hard? I'm sure it came out over Christmas, but Die Hard's a summer movie as far as I know. Okay, concerned. all right. <laughs> like, die, like, like that, that's what I'm talking about as a summer movie. A summer movie is just incredibly, it, it's, it is there for entertainment only. And it can do more than that while it's doing that, but the primary job is purely big budget Hollywood entertainment. And if that could be done splendidly, I, I think it can be transcendent when it can be. I think the fugitive, the fugitive is a movie. There are movies that are better and more prestigious, but I, I there is no way I cannot watch the fugitive when that movie's on. <laughs> the fugitive, like, how do you not watch that movie? And what's the point of watching of talking about movies other than like, oh, this is a really pleasant thing for me to watch. I'd like to watch more of it. If a movie's doing that, I think it's doing something pretty great. Well, I want to talk about your book in a second, but first I want to ask them, do you have a favorite summer movie? I mean, The Fugitive is pretty high up there, to be honest. I just think, I think that movie is, is just, ex, just terrific, really across the board. Uh, I always think, when I think of summer movies, I always think being 14 years old, a lot of summer movies are about that, right? When you're young, mm-hmm. you don't have a car, so you don't have anywhere to go. And I remember wanting to see Batman desperately when I was, four, I was 14 years old, it was 1989. And, uh, and, and I wanted to see Batman and it was sold out. So I had to see Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, uh, which was the other movie uh, that, opened, that opened that week, which was a huge, huge hit in large part because Batman was sold out everywhere. <laughs> and so, and, uh, and I, so I, for me, I, I feel like, I know Jaws is kind of the unofficial opening of that. And I get that. I understand. I think Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade also came around that week. And I think that, those to me are, 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 I will always kind of think of the original Batman and Jurassic Park, which came out uh, just a few years later, as like the definitive, this is like to me Spielberg, when he is, when Jurassic Park is, is I think kind of almost a perfect movie. I don't think it's even close to one of Steven Spielberg's best movies, but that is like, so like, that, oh, if, if I'm going to get a summer movie, I want Spielberg in this mode making because it's so smart. And there's, and there's like the great little jokes of the, of the rear view mirror and just like all these little moments of like, this is, this is a master of his craft being brilliant. It's not Spielberg's best movie. That's right. It's a lost art. But, um, but I would certainly, but I would certainly say that uh, uh, those are like ideal summer movies doing kind of what the, the, the great things are able to do. Yeah. I wanted to break in real quick before we get to the book. Um, since you are, of course, a, you're a sports guy through, you know, for many years. And I'm curious what some of your favorite and maybe least favorite are just a couple of, uh, of your for summer movies. Obviously, there's a lot of films about baseball. There's, I'm a golfer. There's, there's some very bad golf movies and a few good ones, including Caddyshack, which is probably my favorite summer movie. But uh, anyway, for you, like a summer sports film, 
maybe just top two or three worst one ever. Yeah, my, my dirty secret about sports movies is I love sports and I love movies, but I'm very skeptical of sports movies. And the reason for that, there are exceptions, of course, but the reason for that is the thing I love about sports and the thing I love about movies is I don't know what's going to happen next. They're unpredictable. I don't know what's going like, like, it's great. I'm watching a game and I don't know what's going to happen. I'm watching a movie. I don't know what's going to happen. For some reason, sports movies, which should be the most unpredictable things at all, have these like clear, they've decided to all just collectively have this clear arc where the ragtag guys struggle early and then they come together and they win the big game. I have no idea why you would ruin a sports movie by making it boring and predictable. It's so weird to me. Um, for me, it's Bull Durham. Like Bull Durham to me is about so much. It's, it, it does two things that these movies ne- very rarely do. League of Their Own is another really good one at this too, where mm-hmm. it, it, it's about so much more than baseball or more than sports but it also makes sure to get the sports stuff right. And I think that is, that is something I think both those movies really have in common. Those are, those are definitely my two favorite baseball movies. Uh, sports movies, it depends how you define it. Hoop Dreams is probably my favorite movie that would be classified as a sports movie. I feel like that's cheating a little bit, uh, but uh, uh, Raging Bull also would be in there. But again, that's also kind of cheating, but uh, th- th- those would be uh, right. Except I never want to see Tim Robbins pretend to throw a baseball again. <laughs> yeah, you should see Anthony Perkins and Fear Strikes Out. He's a, they, yeah, yeah, oh, that, that's the worst. One. That's the worst. One. That <laughs> is the worst one. That Thank you, Mr. Costner. At least he looks like he's playing. <laughs> okay, we've got about five minutes left, so I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your new novel. And first, I, I wanted to ask you: it, it's it's called How Lucky. And it was released uh, mid-May on HarperCollins. First, I want to ask you: so you wrote a novel in two thousand and five, and then you've been exclusively nonfiction since has a novel always been sort of kicking around in the back of your head. Yeah, I actually, that was always kind of the goal was to like, I just wanted to write and, uh, uh, and you know, I've always wanted to write novels because you know, I'm not, I didn't, I don't have an MFA. I didn't go to Yado or McDowell. There's nothing wrong with those places, but I, it's not really my, my kind of, uh, I like to make stuff too much and uh, rather than like, you know, play ping pong while I'm being creatively (laughs) stimulated. Um, but I would say that uh, writing, the fun thing about writing fiction, the, at first it's fun because you can just make the little people do whatever you want. I've been writing nonfiction for so long. It's so nice to be like, I am the God of this universe and I'm making you do what I want to do. The problem is, is people will accept, uh, people will accept things in nonfiction. Like in something, someone does something irrational in, in the real world. We all just shrug and be like, yeah, well, life's a rich pageant, right? People do weird stuff all the time. It's a stressful time. There's a pandemic going on. Uh, you, people are unpredictable, but in fiction, we, everything's got to click and everything's got to fit together and everything's got to like, people will accept plot holes in the real world that they will never accept in fiction. So that makes it harder. But, um, for me, you know, th- in this particular book, this is the story I wanted to tell. I kind of had to, I had the character of Daniel, who's the main character of how lucky who has a spinal muscular atrophy and kind of like he witnesses, a uh, what he believes to be a crime and tries to kind of figure out what's going on. I had the character of Daniel nailed down pretty early. And I knew that he, uh, I knew that he needed to exist, uh, and it was my responsibility to make that happen. So, uh, it is the best way to put that. Wasn't it based on a personal experience or someone you knew? Uh, my son's uh, closest friend has spinal muscular atrophy. My son is nine, uh, and Daniel is twenty is twenty six in the book, which is frankly toward the end of the lifespan of someone with SMA. Uh, and so, uh, uh, there's a scene in the book where the two where him and his best friend are kids and they kind of like discover one is able to hold weight in his legs and the other isn't. But for people that don't know, SMA is, 
it's really rough way to put it is it's a little bit like ALS, but for children, it's awful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and my, uh, and so, yeah, we had a personal experience with it and, uh, and, uh, but you know, it, to, I'm still an able-bodied person, so I can only know this so well. So to me, that's where the journalism come in. That's comes in. That's why I talk to everyone with SMA and everyone in the families with people with SMA. I did the best I could to kind of nail, uh, uh, to get that right. But yeah, that I, I, I knew, I, I just, I knew I had Daniel and how I see how he saw the world. And, you know, then I had to figure out something for Daniel to do. And, and was it hard to, to get those fiction muscles firing again? Uh, not at first. Cause again, you can just make it whatever you want. It's always weird to me too, because the book is, uh, because a thriller aspect to it, but it's also a character study. And it's hopefully funny. It's a lot of different things at once. And it's, it's, it's strange to me. I haven't written a book in a long time and I've written a novel in a really long time. I had not realized how much that people really want their novels to like fit in certain shelves at the supermarket. Like it's very important that this be, Oh, is this a thriller or is it a contemporary yeah. fiction or is it an, and it's very, I, I, I'll have to confess that's bewildering to me. Cause I'm like, it's a book. It can <laughs> be anything. Like it can be <laughs> anything in the world. It's just words all put together. And it's a story. It's very strange to think that, you know, like, I'm, like, like, to, like people don't walk around the world being like, wow, I'm in the middle of a contemporary fiction story. Like, you like you exist, you know, we just said, go out and do things. It was very, very, very weird uh, uh, experience. And, uh, but, uh, and so the movie, the, I, I did not, I was not trying to write something unclassifiable. I was just trying to write a book and, uh, and it just kind of been put in thriller or put in contemporary fiction and so on. But, you know, for me, uh, being able to write it and make it, uh, it was it was something I was trying to I want something I just really just kind of wanted to put into the world, <laughs> and uh, and so I'm very grateful and fortunate that that HarperCollins liked it and they and people have been reacting so so positively to it. But it's still you know it's still only been a month. It's very strange that like like I've just met you two. You're very nice, but it's weird that like you're gonna like read this like this thing that I made <laughs> and like maybe you will maybe you won't. But it's yeah, just weird we that like it's weird that like. Uh, uh, like there are straight, there are people I don't, there are, there are uh, people I, there are high school teachers of mine reading it. There are ex-girlfriends of mine reading it. Like it's all, it's, it's very weird to have it like out in the planet. It's you so had, kind of personal like that. Have, you had to have some, some of that experience. I mean, I'm a small time newspaper columnist. Even I've had that where. Yeah, I know, but it's, this it's different. It's different because I certainly, I'm used to getting yelled at for things I've written about in sports right. and movies and so on. Hmm. And politics. It's not so much that, but like, like you know, this was seen by no one but my wife and my agent and my editor for about a year and a half and then like on tuesday someone clicked the button and then the world all got to see it you know so it's very uh, uh that, that that's the thing that's weird because you you know i i'm sure you work hard on your comps i work hard on my comps but i don't always have the this must be perfect we have to this is the purest expression of what i'm trying to do and so i i always like half the time when someone will criticize me like yeah you're probably right i probably should have done better on that uh but this hmm. it, was, it was a very different experience of this there's no question the book is called How Lucky. Uh, the podcast is Grierson and Leach. Are you still doing other podcasts as well? I do a St. Louis Cardinals podcast with uh, my friend Bernie Miklas. Uh, and then I do, I live in Athens, Georgia. We do a Georgia football podcast uh, during the season awesome. called Wait, I wait, saw since, that uh, too. wait since Last Saturday, which uh, I, I got to tell you, I cannot wait to tailgate. That's the one. There were, there were sports last year, but there was no tailgating. There needs to be some tailgating. I missed right. it very, there, very there much. Yeah. 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 Between the hedges, right? There, exactly. Go. Exactly. There, um, yeah. I've been to Athens once and walked oh, by the stadium. Beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. Then why don't you tell us where we can find out more about you um, as far as websites or socials or anything like that? 
Yeah, I'm very bad at Twitter. Uh, I'm on it, but I'm really bad at it. Uh, so I'm at William F. Leach on Twitter. But the best way to really kind of get everything is I have a weekly free newsletter, uh, williamfleach.substack.com. I'll just type it newsletter will show up. Uh, that has links to everything I write during the week and the original essay. And, uh, you know, just, uh, and also places to find the book. How lucky. Available at bookstores everywhere. Nice. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. No, please. My pleasure. My pleasure. Continue. Good luck and enjoy all. Enjoy the surely terrible summer movies that await us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That was Larry and myself speaking with Will Leach, who also has a great podcast. We talked about Grierson and Leach. Go find them talking movies on any podcast network. And also he had something called the Will Leach Experience, and it's on Tumblr. He's got a lot of stuff going out there. But we're transitioning now to Allison Meyer and David McNeil, two friends of the show, two friends in real life, two great writers and storytellers talking summer movies as our correspondent piece. Take it away. I never really felt like a close connection to the season as far as like, oh, what quality films. No, no. I feel like mostly it was just that's when I had time to yeah. watch a lot of films. Yeah. Like, because what else are you going to do? What do you remember growing up? Well, I will be curious to talk to you about this because I feel like so much of my movie watching was solitary mm. and and in my house when I was younger. <laughs> So, so much of not often what people think about when they say summer movie. Yes. Like, summer (laughs) movie is going to Hastings and like just clearing out the VHS section. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Going to Blockbuster. I remember. Oh, there we go. There was a Blockbuster right by Albertsons that we went to. And I would do like the, there was that deal where you could get like three movies for the weekend. Oh, be still my beating heart. (laughs) It was always super exciting. Yeah. Well, do you remember like one triplet or a triptych <laughs> in particular? I feel like it was often like the same combination of few movies because I'm a rewatcher, which I think is why we're friends. Yep. So it was a lot of just Sandra Bullock movies and different combinations. Yeah. While you were sleeping. Of course. To name one. Which is a Christmas film, but it also an always film. Yeah. And then... There would be, like, I was really obsessed with Mini Driver. Yeah. And this was back in the day when I didn't really know anything about the movies, and it was truly based on just looking at the at the covers. That was, yeah. And just deciding, oh, okay, here she is. There was something so much better about that when you're walking down a video store aisle, because it, it simultaneously had the feeling of infinity, but yes. your choices were absolutely limited. Yeah, which is why, like, when I think about it, it's I think about, like, 12 films total. <laughs> Really, but like because that was an entire shelf was yes. just devoted <laughs> yes. to. But it was really fun because you could walk around the perimeter first, which is where all the new releases were. Mm-hmm. And so usually I would do that. Sometimes I would pick all new releases, and sometimes I was like, "No, I'm going in the middle. I'm sticking with what I know." <laughs> and even in junior high, I would try to I would try to like throw in an Oscar contender. To, wow. To go along with the... Holy smokes. To go along with the stuff that, like... <laughs> what was your motivation at that? Like, I'm trying to broaden my horizons. My, my motivation is one day I'm going to be a, in an Oscar-nominated uh, film. Oh. That was my motivation. Yeah. It was it was all research, David, <laughs> for when I was That's an actress. Right. That's right. I remember yeah. this. Yep. Yeah. Because it was inevitable. Like, I... <laughs> 
I think that what was funny is that what I was actually watching were a lot of silly comedies. But in my mind, if I actually were in films, it would be serious dramas, which I actually didn't want to watch as much. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, it's like, yeah, the contradiction between, yeah, like what you're aspiring towards and like what you actually like enjoy. Yeah, which I actually feel like I have come back around to in quarantine. The, the role of movies in my life largely is I'm in a terrible mood and this is going to bring me back. It's medicine. Because you know, like, okay, within two hours, I'm just going to feel different about everything. I'll feel, but yeah, yeah, like I told you growing up, it was always the same exact way where it was like, <laughs> you know, my, my dad, I think he had like a prescription for the movie, What About Bob? Oh, yes. And that like we as a family needed to watch it once every six months. Perfect. Or something yes. hor- horrible was going to befall. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't I don't know what work What About Bob was doing in my dad's psyche, but like it, it got us through whatever it yeah. was. Because, <laughs> yeah, we watched that movie. And I remember like, I don't know if you had this experience with like rewatching movies where like as you developed, like your brain starts to change your view on the movie changes with you. Yes. Did you ever have that experience? So I definitely remember yeah. being like, why is uh, why is Bill Murray like bothering Richard Dreyfuss? <laughs> and then like, as I got older, I'm like, oh, Richard Dreyfuss is kind of a dick. Like, yes. as you understand. Yeah. yeah. But then there are some that it's so interesting because it's like, okay, yes, I understand this movie in a different way, but I still love it in the same way. Oh, that is com- that's comforting. It's the most comforting. Like I rewatched Illegally Blonde the other day. And I loved that movie when I was when I was like 12 or whenever it came out. But I don't... Holds up. And it holds up. It and holds it holds up, up even more yes. now as a grown woman. Perfect summer movie. Yeah. I remember watching it in Saudi Arabia. Yes. Which is where I grew up, but also sort of where my concept of summer movies was formed. Yeah. Because part of the thing was is that in Saudi Arabia, the country itself, I don't know what the case is now, but there were no such thing like you couldn't go to the movie theater like it wasn't a thing except in my little compound where we had a bunch of uh what they called expats like people Mm. from other countries living there and it was less of a movie theater i mean it it was a movie theater but you know it was like a large room with a big screen yeah and we would get movies like that like rom-coms particularly the 90s films but they would we would get them like one to two years maybe more like later and so but in the summertime, everybody would go back to the States or like wherever they were from. Mm. And so it was almost like you were, you were jump. It was like time travel. Cause like Saudi Arabia, you're like 10 years in the past. And then you would go to the States and be like, whoa, like there's like magazines and like toys and movies. And yeah. like, holy, holy crap. This is amazing. And then you'd go to the movie theater and you'd see something that had just come out. Yeah. Like Shrek or whatever. And your mind would be blown and you could go back to Saudi Arabia and like, brag to everyone how you saw Shrek and they hadn't and, they yeah. Would, and um yeah so I remember in the compound itself just yeah the big the big draw for the movie theater was the uh, the air conditioning yes it was the air conditioning uh because that I, in my mind like yeah because the movies themselves you're like oh whatever but as long like you know if it's like a hundred plus degrees outside yeah and because of the way that the movie theater was built, they had these massive air conditioning units. Perfect. And so they would turn them on like on high power for about an hour before the movie started. Perfect. And so everybody would wear sweaters to the movie theater. (laughs) 
So yes. you would walk, like you would just see a bunch of people like walking from their cars to the movie theater, like in a hundred degree weather in sweaters. We'd all get in there and it would be like 60 degrees, like maybe like chillier. Yeah. And then uh, people would start to take off the sweatshirts, sweaters, and the movie would start and they would turn off the AC. And that's why, that's why they cooled it down so much at the beginning was so that like it would gradually heat up as the movie went along. And so by the end, it was like, you know, like in the 80s in the movie theater. Was it a sound thing? It was, yeah, sorry, it was for the sound. Yes. Yeah, because the air conditioners made so much noise yeah. that they had to shut them off while the so movie. So it was only like one movie at a time. You weren't it, staying oh, there. Oh God, or... no, there was never a double feature. Pretty sure the film would have melted yeah. by the time the second one was on. How often were the movies playing? Like when, when the movies were playing, was it everyone oh, there? That's a great question. Um, yeah, it was like the whole community turned. Like yeah. a couple of movies felt like Star Wars in 77, like yeah. where it's just like around the block. Like, yeah. and it was in Dahran where I grew up. It was like Mulan was like a phenomenon. Yes. <laughs> like everybody saw Mulan like multiple times. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I remember like was Unbreakable. Oh, yes. Uh, people sitting, people literally sitting in the aisles in between seats to watch Unbreakable. Amazing. <laughs> and, um, one movie also stands above the rest, uh, but not because a ton of people saw it. In fact, almost no one saw it. The only reason I think I saw it was because we were Irish and it was like an independent Irish film okay. called The Secret of Rowan Inish. If you owned any VHS tapes for like, from like produced by MGM, you probably saw the trailer to it. The only reason it was so unique is because we, we were watching it and we're like, okay, it's like an art film. It's, yes. a little, it's a little bit different. And then it starts out with like the the actress who you find out is like a selkie like a woman who's you know got the seal skin and then the guy takes the seal skin but she's like already living with the guy in this cottage and it's like huh they're like not telling us their names like this is so artistic like why are, why are they doing this and then it just goes along and then she like leaves him you're like oh my god like wh what happened and then and then we cut and they're meeting Oh. And like an hour, an hour into the film, and they're meeting for the first time, and we're like, "What is going on? Like, is this a, is this like a dialogue on like the nature of memory or like how things?" And we're like, by the time it ended, we're like, "Oh no! Like they just got the reels in the wrong order. <laughs> <laughs> they like played the, the second and third reels first, and the first reel last." And that was that was my biggest memory of a summer movie in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so you would go with your whole family most of the time. Oh. God, yeah, no, if you didn't go with your family, then it was, um, yeah, it was like something was wrong with you. Yeah. Like, uh, we, we saw every movie together. I remember when, when we moved to Boise and like, <laughs> I was like making a stand, I was acting out and they were all going to go watch the remake of the Manchurian Candidate. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not going. And they're like, oh, like, they're like, oh, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, why wouldn't you come with us to watch the to remake the of the Manchurian Candidate? I was like, I'm being independent, and, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. No, we we watched everything as family. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of similar to like, um, <laughs> it's not similar, but it, when you were talking about the movie theater, I was thinking about we would go to Cascade in the summer, and there's one movie theater there that plays like one or two movies at a time, and you would just it's go. It's the see, exact same feeling. You would go see whatever was playing, yeah. and it was always like a Lindsay Lohan movie. So. <laughs> So like like if you're ever in Cascade, just make references about Herbie fully loaded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Are you someone who goes to the movies alone ever these days? I no. Um, I don't. Yeah. Like I, I always 
try to call some other person, which is funny that it, it's like a social activity for me because it's literally the least social thing you can do. But like, I think that's why a certain kind of introvert <laughs> loves the movies. It's my favorite because you there are very small windows yes. in which to talk. But, but also I feel like you're able to commune with people on an emotional level yes. that almost like isn't... God, I'm going to use the word sullied and sound like a creep, but it's almost like it's not like um, diluted with words. It's yes. just you're all feeling the same exactly. thing and you kind of know you're all feeling the same thing, which yes. is super cool. No, I think that's what I love about it. And I think that it's also how I gauge how my friendship is going to go with somebody because we have to be able to watch movies together. It's kind of... It's kind of oh at the top God. of my list. I can't tell you how many relation, like actual relationships, yes. like the person is a great person, but you sit down to watch a movie and they're yawning yes. or they're like, I don't understand. And you're like, you know what? It's the matrix. Like, I don't know how to explain this to you. <laughs> I remember this particular story. I know. And I remember, I'll just leave it at that. Well, it, I do want to know, actually, I would love to know how many breakups have been caused by the film, the matrix. <laughs> Because I feel like there are probably a substantial numerous, number. Numerous. Um, numerous. But yes, I feel the same way. There are a lot of people that can't sit still for a movie and also aren't there for the experience. Yeah. And I feel like that you have to give yourself over to it. Great judge of character. And also, I always want to talk about... All, I want to talk about all of it, Oy. which is why, again, I think you're such a, we're such good friends because yes. I want to talk about the writing. I want to talk about the acting. Oh, I want to. There's you know, nothing more fun. There's nothing more fun. Like like if, if somebody doesn't have a capacity to talk about movies. Yeah. Or bo- yeah. It just becomes so hard because it's like, that's all I want to talk about. <laughs> and you realize there are a lot of people that don't care. Like they want to oh. see a movie and then and then we're just going to go about our day and not talk about it. <laughs> And I really struggle with that. <laughs> this is the core of our friendship. One, of, not the only core, but well, a key we have a lot in common of the friendship. Yeah, the way that certain things um, have informed our idea of storytelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pri- primarily, uh, the the relating to real yeah. real world through fantasy and fiction. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And this is encapsulated in our viewing of the Born Identity. Yes, which you don't, apparently don't really remember as much as I do. I, I remember watching it on the on the couch in uh, Grace and Nick's apartment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it was. Um, well, like after I say like that casually, no, we insisted that we yes. watch it. I think there are a couple things that we should we should I should point okay, out. Good. So first of yeah. all, um, it was a party with other people. <laughs> There. So I don't remember that. So, <laughs> I only remember the movie. <laughs> there, yes. There were several other people in attendance. And oh, and I'm I, sorry to them. <laughs> and I arrived late to the party because early, the the first part of the party was the hot tub. And I don't, oh, yeah. I don't no, attend okay, yeah. any, any part of a bathing suit portion of an event I'm not going to <laughs> attend. So I arrived late with the board identity. And okay. that's. Basically, I just showed up, and then we made everyone watch this movie with us, <laughs> and and yet they couldn't really watch the movie. Like, no, our friend hadn't even seen it ever before, and we narrated the entire film. It was a treat for her, and it was one of those things where, as we were doing it, I knew that we needed to stop. Like, it was. <laughs> I kept thinking, like, 
we need to stop talking. Like, this is inappropriate. There are other people trying to watch a movie. Well, I, and I, yet we couldn't. It was like some sort of folie à deux, like shared I, psychosis. You know, I, I do love talking during movies. <laughs> especially movies like that. Yes. I mean, especially at home. Because like, if somebody misses something, you can always rewind. Yes. You can always pause. We didn't, though. <laughs> we <liked them> talking. <laughs> but uh, you're much more considerate than I am. In every sense of the word, like whenever we're at public events yes. and I think like I'm just having a private like little whisper to you, yeah. then you'll let me know. It's like, David, you were shouting yes. <laughs> your your opinion. Yes. Everyone could hear you. <laughs> yeah. So that's, it is surprising that I guess, yeah, you participated. I in did. It. And I knew, like I knew that it was a problem <laughs> and I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop like saying the lines before the actor said them. We kept saying lines before the actor said them. Oh, I don't like her. Yeah, exactly. That <laughs> such a good line. A lot of Chris Cooper lines. Well, Christian Wynn, I feel like I have a pretty closer idea of what a summer movie is now, but on the same at the same time, I don't. I think it's yeah, it's what you make it. But that was a great uh, interview with Will and a great contribution from Allison and David. Absolutely. So we want to thank everyone who came on the show this week and also um, remind you that we do have a Facebook group that you can go join and we do have some social media that you can go check out. Go to the show notes for those links and if you want to throw a little something in the tip jar, uh, you can do that at ease-drop.com. Dot com. Yes. Are you supposed to say the dot com anymore? Does that show you're an old person? Like when people uh, well, say, well, you know, you go know, to www. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't either. <laughs> is there a young person in the room who could maybe help us out? Maybe. I don't know. Brett's he's <laughs> silent. He's back in a silent up. producer yes, mode. Exactly. Speaking of Brett, let's thank a bunch of people starting with him. Brett Battistain. <laughs> that we like to say out loud because it's a great name and it's also a wonderful podcast network that we're a part of and he helps produce the show actually he does produce the show okay let's just come clean with yeah. that so, and then also our man Jared Bostrom he does our editing for us also or some of the editing and yeah find out more about what Eavesdrop Podcast Network has to offer including Chew Bubblegum and Kick Ass and the, we do Keanu. That's right. So we have those uh, those movies. Um, I don't know. Lots of cool movies in there and a great discussion with uh, Dylan, I believe, and Brett and sometimes a, another guest. But that said, yeah, thanks so much, Larry. And thanks um, to our guests and our correspondents today. And gosh, what, what else do we have to say, Larry? We have to say, as for us, we are entering the dog days of summer. We are. And when we... When you hear from us next, we'll be discussing that. And when uh, Christian and I think of the dog days of summer, it makes us it makes the heart turn to sports. True. So next time we're going to discuss sports and summer. And I guess you got to discover what Chevrolet and apple pie as well. When if you're talking about those things, probably. So until then, uh, let us not forget to remind you to always move the story forward. Advance the narrative.